welcome to Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. This is a live call-in show. We'll give you the telephone number later on so that you can call and express your comments or views. Let's have a word of prayer if we can. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you for all of the blessings that you bestow upon us. We thank you for health. We thank you for this studio. We thank you for the viewers. Please be with us all that uh, we'll be able to talk about you, draw closer to you, and know you better through your Son in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Tonight we're going to go to the root of an issue. There's a saying that says, so many hack at the branches of a problem, few strike to the root. We're going to go to the root, the heart of the matter, if you will, regarding a topic that can become very combative. I'm going to talk to you about the Book of Mormon. We haven't talked in depth about the Book of Mormon yet, and tonight we're going to try to step in there. There are a few issues more misunderstood in the Christian LDS, uh, Christian Mormon uh, debates than the Book of Mormon. Uh, Christians tend to think that the Book of Mormon is filled with LDS doctrines that make Mormonism unique today, and that's not true. Uh, Latter-day Saints tend to think that the Book of Mormon is historically proven through artifacts, and um, that is not true either, and we'll talk about that as we go along. But we're going to get right at it and, um, and see what happens. The Book of Mormon claims to be a record of people living in the Americas between 600 BCE and 421 CE, the Christian era. These people got to the Americas, according to the story, by leaving Jerusalem and crossing the sea in a boat. Once they were here, they broke into two great nations and and then into two big civilizations and into millions of people and they had wars and they had peace and and later on in the story, Jesus even came to the Americas and he established his church here. He called 12 disciples according to the Book of Mormon and then later on, the two great civilizations battled against each other and one of them uh, uh, overcame the other and basically wiped them out. Before that civilization was wiped out, a man named Mormon, where Mormons get their nickname, compiled all the records of the civilization, and he put them on golden plates, and he handed them to his son Moroni. And Moroni took those plates, and he buried them in a hill. The remnant of those two great civilizations, according to the Book of Mormon, and according to the LDS Church for many years, is the American Indian. And that's how they believe many of the American Indians came to be in this country. Now we're going to look at 11 facts regarding the Book of Mormon. Um, Joseph Smith claimed that in 1823, Moroni, the the man who buried those plates in a hill back in 421 AD, came to him as an angel and told him where he had buried those golden plates and for Joseph to go and get them and translate them. And so Joseph did that. And he translated it into what is called the Book of Mormon, and that's what we have today. I don't think you can see this. This is my copy of the Book of Mormon. And uh, Latter-day Saints hold that up as scripture. So let's talk about 11 facts about the Book of Mormon. Fact number one, the Book of Mormon is not the Mormon Bible. Um, It does not replace the Bible to the Mormons at all. Mormons consider the Book of Mormon another witness of Jesus Christ, and that title was stamped on the Book of Mormon in the mid-1980s. It was added to the title of the book. Latter-day Saints use the King James Version of the Bible for their Bible, 
And uh, then they also have their own cross-references and a Joseph Smith translation included in their Bible. But that's their Bible. The Book of Mormon is another witness to them. Fact number two. The Book of Mormon does not teach all the things that make Mormonism uniquely different from Christianity today. I hope you listen to that. Most of these doctrines come through the revelations or other revelations that Joseph Smith received and that are recorded in a book called The Pearl of Great Price, The Doctrine and Covenants, or The History of Joseph Smith. They are not found in the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon does not teach the temple endowment, the garden as a place of atonement, three degrees of heaven, mother in heaven, eternal progression, Aaronic priesthood, that God was once a man, that matter is eternal, the LDS version of the conception of Jesus, the plurality of gods, the word of wisdom, polygamy, except to condemn it, the pre-mortal existence, except in a vague reference therein, blood atonement, Satan and Jesus as spiritual brothers, the ability for man to become a god, polytheism, baptism for the dead, eternal marriage, or that Jesus is a created being. The Book of Mormon does not teach these unique LDS doctrines, okay? Fact three, the Book of Mormon does, in fact, teach and emphasize many 19th century religious themes that were popular to Christian sects at that time. These include the need to be spiritually reborn, the Trinity, and a few other concepts relating to the ontology or makeup of God. The incarnation of God as Jesus, the Book of Mormon teaches that. Missionary zeal, revivalistic worship themes are throughout the Book of Mormon where they clap their hands and receive the Spirit. Divine healings, baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ crucified, traditional Virgin Mary theology, the Law of Moses. Fact 4. The Book of Mormon also teaches many cultural themes that were popular in 19th century Christianity. Religious restorationists were men and women who believed that the primitive church of Jesus needed to be restored back to the earth. And there was a lot of them and Joseph Smith's family was included. Joseph Smith's family starting with his grandfather Asael all the way through his father Joseph Smith Sr. and then he himself believed that the church needed to be restored back to the earth, and they were not alone in that. Popular restorationist platforms found in the Book of Mormon and in Mormonism include a rejection of paid clergy, titles, and denominationalism, a rejection of Calvinistic theology, a church using only the name of Jesus Christ was very popular among the restorationists, uh, rejecting Christian creeds, a need for uh, a faith and works salvation, was based in that, those thoughts at that time. A spirit of self-reliance, a restitution of tithing, Sabbath day activities being restored to what they were in the Old Testament. All this was part of the restoration movement that was afoot at the time that Joseph Smith was translating the Book of Mormon. Fact number five. The angel Moroni appeared to Joseph Smith on a very important night for people involved in the occult and folk magic practices. It was the night of the autumnal equinox, September 22nd, 1823, beginning at midnight. Folk magic practitioners believe that the veil between heaven and earth was very thin on this specific night and that you could find treasures buried in heaven as you were directed by the heavens on this night to look for them. Joseph said Moroni appeared to him on five separate occasions in the 24 hours of the autumnal equinox. It would be four full years 
between the time that the, Joseph Smith had his first visit from Moroni to when he actually got to get the plates, according to his testimony. During these four years, Joseph was commanded to return to the Hill Cumorah on this very same autumnal equinox night and meet with Moroni, which he did. It was here that this angel Moroni would reappear and instruct him on other things. Church history claims that other angelic visitors also tutored Joseph Smith during the years, during, during the years he didn't have the plates. These visitors included Nephi, Alma, Mormon, the 12 disciples Jesus chose during his visit to the Americas. Sometimes Joseph Smith's family would gather around in the evenings and Joseph would rehearse to them what these angels had taught them about this so-called ancient American civilization. Joseph Smith's mother wrote, and I quote, During our evening conversations, Joseph would occasionally give us some of the most amusing recitals that could be imagined. He would describe the ancient inhabitants of this continent, their dress, mode of traveling, and the animals upon which they rode, their cities, their buildings, with every particular, their mode of warfare, and also their religious worship. This he would do with much ease, seemingly as if he had spent his whole life with them. Okay. Fact six. The Book of Mormon, based on LDS timelines, was not translated in weeks or months, as many Latter-day Saints are wont to claim. There was a six to seven year period between the time that Joseph announced that the angel said, the plates are here, to the time that he actually produced a manuscript. Six or seven years. Somewhere in there, Latter-day Saints have come up with the idea that he translated this in a very short period of time. But in reality, the reality or the fact is, he knew about these plates for six or seven years from the time he told the public, I've got them, to the time that he actually produced a manuscript. Very few people ever speak about this fact. Um, fact number seven, Joseph Smith did not translate the Book of Mormon by looking at the mysterious golden plates through a Urim and Thummim, those are seers that he supposedly had, and translating what they contained. As a Latter-day Saint, as a young man, I was always shown a picture of Joseph sitting at a table and he had the gold plates sitting out here and he had a pen in one hand and he'd be looking at him and writing. Other pictures would show the gold plates on one side and kind of a, a curtain or something between him and another person who was writing what he would, would translate. And, and, and those pictures would show that. This historically, according to LDS sources, is not the case. Most reputable LDS accounts state that the Book of Mormon was translated by inspiration that came to Joseph Smith through several means. The first one is him looking into his favorite seer stone. It's a stone that I believe, I could be wrong, that the church presidency has in their office today. It was Joseph Smith's seer stone. He would look in this stone and he would translate by revelation what the Book of Mormon was supposed to say. Joseph would also put that stone into a hat, according to witnesses, and he would look in the hat and it would tell him what he was supposed to read out for the person writing or transcribing what he said. Finally, Joseph would receive direct revelation from heaven, not the stone, not the hat, not the plates. He would just receive revelation, and there were many times when he would just dictate what was supposed to be in the book, and the transcriber would write what he said. In the end, the golden plates that we hear about and have seen in pictures had very little to do 
with the transcribing of the Book of Mormon, the actual reading transcribing. They could not even be in the room or in the same place, and Joseph would translate, quote-unquote, this Book of Mormon. Fact 8. Joseph was strictly commanded by the angel Moroni not to show the plates to anybody, and he didn't. Latter-day Saints always point to three witnesses and eight witnesses as being witnesses to the plates, but I challenge every member to read, to study, and find out the history and what exactly happened with the three witnesses and the eight witnesses, and if they actually saw the plates, or if they saw a vision of the plates, if they actually handled the plates, or they think they handled the plates. These witnesses, and also look to see who they were and what families they came from. By the way, I've always found it interesting that when it comes to the golden plates, the angel Moroni didn't tell Joseph to keep the fact that he had them quiet. Why didn't, he dis why didn't the angel Moroni say, Joseph, don't tell people you've even got them. That will stop all the persecution that's going to go when you tell people you've got them. Now, he said, don't show them to anybody, but he doesn't tell them not to, not to tell people he's got them. So he lets the news out and he's persecuted all the time for having them. I've never understood that, but maybe there's some reason for it in church history that I haven't seen. Joseph claimed that the angel Moroni would, would at times transport the plates for him from place to place when it wasn't convenient or uh, safe to move them himself. And so he would go from one place to another and the angel would take them from those place to place. I didn't know this as I studied. Based on the chronology endorsed by the church, the angel Moroni between September of 1823 and June of 1829 visited him 22 times to give him secrets and revelations about the ancient Americas. He was also tutored, according to church history, by celestial beings. This was in an Insight article just recently, uh, which is supposed to be a superior way to gain information. Fact number eight. The LDS Church has always maintained that the Book of Mormon is the most correct book on the face of the earth and that people will draw closer to God by reading it than any other book. After God accepted the book as correct, there were 3,900 plus non-punctuation changes in the book. Brigham Young said in Journal of Courses 9-9, excuse me, colon, 311, if the Book of Mormon were now to be rewritten, it would be materially different from the present translation. Was the book truly a recording of ancient people? Is the book the most correct book on earth that will lead people closer to God than any other book? Did Joseph actually receive revelation from God to write it? Fact number 10. Much of the Book of Mormon came from borrowed themes found in a variety of sources available to Joseph Smith and his family at that time. These sources include, and if you think I'm wrong, please check these out yourself. Get a pen and write them down. Study the Apocrypha, particularly the Book of Maccabees. Study James Adair, History of the American Indians. Look at Josephus' War of the Jews. Look at Ethan Smith's View of the Hebrews. I happen to have a photochemical, photomechanical reprint of that book. I've looked through it uh, quite extensively. And the parallels are amazing. This is a book that prefaced the publication of the Book of Mormon. Look at Solomon Spaulding's Manuscript Found. Look at an article on October 22, 1823, Wayne Sentinel, and look for parallels. Look at the preface to the King James Bible that was printed in 1769. And look at the Golden Pot by Etta Hoffman, 
a contribution by my friend Grant Palmer, who I think did a great job with that. I challenge every single Book of Mormon believing person out there to investigate these sources directly as you claim the book is true. Don't read some commentary about it. Don't read whether uh, it could be true or can't be. Go to the sources, read and see for yourself. But perhaps the greatest evidence of plagiarism in the Book of Mormon happens to come from the Bible itself. My respected friend and scholar Michael Marquardt examined the Book of Mormon for anachronistic issues. What an anachronistic issue is? It's, a, it's a, something that is out of chronological time or chronological order. So I want you to imagine this for a second. Let's say that I said, hey everybody out there in TV land, I found an ancient book in my backyard and I know that it's really, really old. So um, what I want to tell you is, I know that it is of the Word of God. It's an ancient manuscript. You need to read this. So you take this ancient manuscript and you start reading it. And I claim that the book was written 5,000 years before Jesus was born. 2,000 years, 1,000 years before he was born. Okay? And you open it up and while you're reading, suddenly you come across the word microwave popcorn. Now when you read microwave popcorn in this text that I say is so ancient, you're going to say, wait a minute, that couldn't be there. And then you go on and you read McDonald's Happy Meal. And you go on and you read other words that do not fit the time period that I claim this book came from. All right? That's called an anachronism. And it means that it's dated in the wrong time. And I hope you understand that when I go to show this. We're going to show you a graphic. We'll come up on the screen. And what it is, it's just going to give you a little parallel. All right? And the graphic shows the Book of Mormon writes, being grieved because of the hardness of their hearts. That's in 1 Nephi 2.18, that phrase, being grieved because of the hardness of their hearts. Okay? That was written 600 years before Jesus was, uh, came to the earth. Okay? Now, the New Testament also has being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. That's found in Mark 3.5. That was written by the Greeks. And it was written in the Greek language and translated later by the King James scholars from the Greek into English. And so what we have here are quotes from the Book of Mormon that say they came directly from God by revelation that steal from a time 600 years later plus from the Bible in another language. They're anachronistic difficulties and there are hundreds of them through the Book of Mormon. In fact, you can go through everything before Jesus came to this earth and you can find 156 anachronistic sentences taken from the New Testament and placed in pre-Jesus Book of Mormon times. He borrowed heavily from the Bible to construct this book as another witness of Jesus Christ. I would go, I would go in more depth when it comes to the Greek, but I think it would be too cumbersome and I'm not sure I'd be able to explain it well. If you have problems, please email me and I'll explain the Greek to you and the problem with the usage of the Greek in a book that supposedly was written before Jesus came to this earth in another continent. Now let me go to fact 11, the last fact. The dangers of embracing or accepting the Book of Mormon are not what most people believe. There are books that I have read that are not canon that have inspired me greatly to want to know Jesus more. This is not the problem of the Book of Mormon. 
when you look at it, it is primarily a 19th century piece of fiction that's a conglomeration of a number of different sources constructed in a, constructed in a physical, I mean a fictional setting that tells about Jesus without a doubt. Okay, and it, and it makes stuff up about him, but most of it comes from the Bible. So it does resonate to great truth. And there are very, there are arguably very few doctrinal problems when it comes to traditional Christianity in the Book of Mormon. Very few. It primarily teaches 19th century Christian doctrine. Okay, so what is the problem with embracing a book that is not canon, but does talk and speak of Christ and does lead people, quote-unquote, to Christ. The problem, the first problem, is an association that comes attachment that comes by being attached to the book. By accepting the fictional Book of Mormon, which, by the way, the first edition listed Joseph Smith as the author and proprietor of it, you automatically take a detri detrimental position as a Christian. Because you tacitly place the Bible in the shadow of the Book of Mormon. Your view of God's Word becomes distorted by reading Joseph's works. Do you understand? The Book of Mormon has not one, not one, single archaeological proof, linguistic proof, genetic proof, historical proof, cultural proof, or grammatical proof. Not one. The Bible has substantial, irrefutable proofs in almost every one of these areas. You can walk down the streets, see the cities that it occurred in. You are expected to have so much faith in a book that came from one man's mind, it blows me away. So by association, there's a danger in, in accepting the Book of Mormon. Ask yourself this question. If the Bible was infallible and inerrant, would a Book of Mormon be needed? The answer is absolutely not. If one book is sufficient, is infallible, is God's Word, you don't need another. But every movement comes up with a, a new idea or a new book that needs to be presented because the Bible, they say, is not sufficient. Think about the different books that we've had through history. Look at the Quran. That, the beginning of the Quran says it is the most correct book on the face of this earth. I've read that with my own eyes in my own Quran. It is the most correct book on the face of the earth. Look at the Yi Jing. Look at the Upanishads. You look, look at the Avesta. Look at the Dhammapada. Look at the Nab Hamanadi Codices. Look at the Kabbalah. What is truth? When you take the Bible and you say it's insufficient, you open up the door to Pearl of Great Prices, Doctrine and Covenants, modern day revelations that just usurp the pure word of God that teaches people about his son and the whole purpose and the plan of his, of his life. The Bible has substantial irrefutable proofs. Finally, by embracing the fictional Book of Mormon, you are prone to embracing everything else that comes along with it. The LDS Church is huge at saying, if the Book of Mormon is true, the whole church is true. The entire truth of the church hangs on whether the Book of Mormon is true or not. Let me make one last point before we go to the phone lines. You cannot prove a negative. You cannot prove or disprove a negative. Let me give you an example. I cannot prove or disprove 
that Santa Claus does or does not exist. Santa Claus, as if you're an adult audience, no, you know does not exist as a literal being in the North Pole. Okay, but I can't prove that because he's a negative. He doesn't really exist. So it's impossible to prove a negative to people. I can't prove something doesn't exist that doesn't exist. It's philosophically and logically impossible. I believe Joseph knew that. In my book, Born Again Mormon, Moving Toward Christian Authenticity, I believed after I've read a lot that Joseph tried to save a floundering Christianity back in the 1820s by composing the Book of Mormon. I think after that it got out of hand. But I don't believe for a second that it is the Word of God or that it was translated perfectly or that it has any comparison to the Bible. All right, we're going to Robert in Ogden. He's a first-time caller on line one. Robert, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, first-time caller. And I, first of all, I want to tell you, my wife and I love your show, and we've been praying for you every day. Thanks, man. Um, I need it. Um, you do. <laughs> Living here in Ogden, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, one of the, my comment was, uh, in the Strongs, it says that a gospel is a witness or a good news of God, correct? Okay. Okay, and if you look in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10... I actually don't have my Bible with me, so I can't read it for you. I've got mine, but I'm not looking it up. Just tell me. Uh, it says, I, it troubles me, Paul's talking to the Galatians, he says, it troubles me that you are so easily detoured from, a gospel, or from Jesus Christ by a new gospel. Right. And let any man or an angel of God bring to you any other gospel other than what we have already given you, let him be accursed. Right. And he says that twice. And in the Bible, when he says it twice, it pretty much means, this is what I mean. I mean what I say. I say what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> and it just amazes me that, you know, when, you, when I bring that up, I've had several LDS friends come up and say, oh, well, that was translated wrong. Actually, the standard answer Latter-day Saints usually give for that is that it's not another gospel. It's the real first gospel, and so we have no problem with that. We, we agree with that, they'll say. Not realizing Paul was talking to the Jews who were slipping back into their legalistic ways. Instead of just embracing Christ, Paul was saying, hey, if anyone comes to you and gives you another gospel, you know, they're anathema. Let them be accursed. And, and, uh, but it does apply absolutely to what you're saying here, Robert. No, and it's just, it's, not, it's another gospel, like, like you were saying earlier, there's no proof that it is that the gold tablets are even in existence. I've lived in Utah all my life, and I've asked, actually gone to the temple and asked him about it. Yeah, Maroon, I took I, him back. Where can I see him at, you know? Yeah, he took him back. But then to kind of, uh, I don't want to say devil's advocate because uh, he doesn't need any advocates, but let the Latter-day Saints say, well, show us all the original manuscripts of the Bible. And they'll go down that road with you. I mean, you might, we not, not, might not have the golden plates, but where are your original manuscripts for the Bible? But there's a good answer for that. We have manuscripts. In fact, the Dead Sea Scrolls took our, our latest manuscript for the Bible a thousand years earlier, and we can see that the book of Isaiah was translated almost exactly, except for a few ands and thes, as the thousand-year-old earlier manuscript. The Latter-day Saints can't come up with anything like that when it comes to the Book of Mormon, so you might throw that at them if you have a chance. All right. Hey, man, thanks for calling. Thank you. Okay, we're going to Larry online to Salt Lake City. 
first time caller, Larry, you're on Heart of the Matter. How are you doing, Sean? I'm doing well, how are you? Great, I've got a couple of comments, uh, actually two or three, just for uh, uh, the LDS people in our audience to ponder. In their own Book of Mormon in Alma, in the 46th chapter, uh, it uses a phrase, uh, 15th verse, and for those who did belong to the church were faithful, yea, all those who were true believers in Christ took upon them gladly the name of 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 Christ, the name or Christians as they were called. Oh yeah. Because of their belief in Christ, who should come. Now the interesting thing about this is that this, in their own book, is dated 73 B.C. Mm -hmm. 73 years before the birth of Christ. So the interesting question is, how would they call themselves Christians when Christ wasn't even born yet, and hadn't lived his life and gone to the cross? And the term Christian didn't come out for a long time, and I think it was the church at Antioch that was first used the name Christians. So you're talking about even, it's even a greater anachronism. You're right. Great point. Yeah. And uh, uh, there's, like you said, there's many of those anomalies throughout the Book of Mormon. Uh, the second, uh, another one is that, like you pointed out, that there are over 3,900 uh, corrections to the Book of Mormon. Uh, I find this interesting because Mormons don't criticize that. They won't point that out. Yet they're, they're more than willing to point out the, the error or whatever in the different translations of the Bible. Yeah. The versions of it. Yeah, they very rarely say that. And, and what they use as a defense is that the Book of Mormon came straight from Joseph, straight from God to Joseph, from, to, from God to Joseph and into this book. And they view that as a, as a benefit. I think what's more amazing is the fact that there were thousands of scholars and six, at least however many, 67 writers of the Bible who wrote according to what God wanted them to. And when you put that book together and read it, it's cohesive and beautiful. I mean, it's, it's amazing. But, uh, you know, two different views, and it's an argument that will continue to go on, I suspect. Right. And the last comment I have, and then you can comment it, because I'll hang up with the phone. Okay. And I'm switching subjects. Um, taking in the Ten, Ten Commandments. Now, the Mormons believe in the Ten Commandments. But yeah. the first one is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Right. Okay. So how, when in, in their belief system, they believe that they can attain to godhood. Right. Now, the thing that's, um, uh, that I find that's interesting about that, that's questionable, is that that is the very reason, even according to their own beliefs, why Lucifer was kicked out of the heavens and why their, their war in heaven even started, because yeah. he thought he could attain to godhood. And yet the Mormons are taking the same aspect of, of attaining to godhead. Want me to answer that after you, you go? What was that? Did you want to hang up on now? Or? I'll, I'll hang up now and let okay. you make a comment on that. Okay, man. Thanks for calling. You bet. Bye-bye. Uh, to kind of put it in the way that I've always understood it with Latter-day Saints is when they say that thou shalt not have any, God, any other gods before me, they will say we don't. He is the only God with which we have to do. And so they defend it in that way. As far as them becoming gods, I really don't know the contextual... The contextual um, way they handle that one about them becoming, but I know that they uh, believe that uh, their God is the only one with which they have to do. And uh, that's the best answer they would give. Obviously, as uh, Latter-day, as uh, Christians, we don't believe at all that we will become gods. We believe that we are creations of God and that uh, he made us, uh, yes, in his image, but uh, not much different than the animals which are his creations. And we have to learn to love him and be humble before him. As far as Lucifer, yes, they, what they do is they say Lucifer took the black side of pride in wanting to become a god and get the glory. 
whereas Jesus took the light side and wanted to be like the Father and follow him in obedience. And those two paths are very different to Mormons, but they do believe that's what separates Jesus and Satan in the, in the uh, war in heaven and the difference between them. We're going to Renee uh, in West Valley. Renee, first time caller on line four. Fire away. Uh, my name is Renee, first time caller. Hey, Renee, I can hardly hear you. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, um, my question is, I got some question about many people. That I was talking to a lot of Mormons, and then I got to always say to them that the, um, Joseph Smith was a Masonic. And yeah. many people don't believe that, they, that he was a Masonic. And one of those things that, that makes him mean is that you look into the history of the Masonic and Utah and wherever you go, you're going to find out that Albert Pye, he was 33 degree Mason. Yeah. And one of the things is that in the book that he write, he believed that Lucifer, he was God. And he, he believed, Albert Pike believed that Lucifer was God and whosoever believed in the doctrine of the Mason. Yeah. Uh, Renee, uh, one, the audience is having trouble hearing you, but I do understand what you said, and I'm going to answer and respond to that. Thank you for calling, and we'll talk to you the next time. As far as masonry goes, watch our 12th, our 12th and 13th show. I cover the Masonic origins. Also, uh, people, if you want to know more about that, read Richard Bushman's book, Rough Stone Rolling. Um, he's LDS, uh, stake presidency, I believe, in New York City. And uh, he's a very respected author, and he tells you the whole thing of what happened with Joseph Smith and being a Mason and going through the whole Masonic rites. Thank you for the call, Renee. We're going to go to Brandon uh, in Provo on line three. Brandon, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing well. You? Uh, first time watcher, first time um, caller. Okay. Um, I was just wondering, you know, about your life, you've been a, a long-time believer of Mormonism. Yeah. You've been, a, you've been a great mentor to many, you know, in the Huntington Beach stake. Oh, so you know me. Uh, maybe. <laughs> well, you must if you know I'm from Huntington Beach. Okay, go ahead. I'm just wondering what has provoked you. I, uh, what am I trying to say? What has provoked you to cause this movement? Um, a couple things, Brandon. I'll try to size it up. Um, Brandon sounds like he knows me from where I live in Huntington Beach, and he says I've been a mentor to people there, and that's true. Brandon, what happened was uh, I tried for years to be good through the church, and I tried to do what they wanted me to do, but I couldn't overcome my sin nature. And this conflict in me of being a sinner in my heart, which I knew made me at odds with God, and then being religiously authentic created great turmoil. And so I recognized myself as a sinner, and I was a sinner, Brandon. So we can clear that right on the table, I was a sinner. And I came to God at the side of a road after listening to a pastor who I didn't know tell me all I needed to do was turn my life over to God through faith in Jesus, and he would give me a new heart. So on Adams Avenue, leading out of Huntington Beach on the way to pick my daughters up from gymnastic practice in Costa Mesa, I did that very thing, and he changed my heart and my life so radically that I had to step out and do something. 
It took four years to leave the LDS church. I was on the high council at the time. And uh, the only reason my wife, Mary, who you may or may not know, stuck with me and my children and my family is because they saw me go from being an idiot religionist who looked down his nose at people who weren't obeying rules to somebody who, who loved others and served them. And that it was a difference. Now, um, that, that, I'm not really trying to start a movement. I just know that in the LDS church, Jesus is not taught, nor is he worshipped. That is the purpose of my ministry, Brandon. Okay. And that's it. So, go. any more? Well, no, I, was just, I was just wondering. I was just interested. I'm, I'm not... Yeah. Have any opinion against it, but are you uh, born again? I am not. Well, what do we need to do to change that, brother? Can I send you my book? Have I read your book? Can I send it to you? Um, if you like. Uh, stay on the line, line three. The operators will get your address, and I'll drop a book in the mail to you. Okay. Hey, thanks for calling, man. Okay. See you later. Bye. 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 All right. Uh, we're going to. We're going to Douglas. Douglas on line one, sorry. Douglas, you're on Heart of the Matter. you got to be quick. John, I just want to read to you real quick. How much? A statement made by the early Mormon apostle Orson Pratt. Yes. The nature of the message in the Book of Mormon is such that if true, no one can possibly be saved and rejected. If false, no one can possibly be saved and receive it. Yeah, I've heard that. Now, he also said, if false... It is one of the most cunning, wicked, bold, deep-laid impositions ever palmed upon the world. Great quote, Doug. I always can rely on you for a great supportive quote. Hey, let, let's take that quote and I challenge Latter-day Saints. You think the book's true because you read it? You don't, just try to forget that it was whispered in your ear that it's true your entire life and that you read and that you sang Book of Mormon stories that my teacher... Uh, teaches me and all the things about the Book of Mormon and the pictures you see that are in the Book of Mormon of the Lamanites and this whole fictitious thing, study and find out how it was made and what, what is in it and then come back and say it's true. All right. Great call, Doug. Always appreciate it. Have a good evening. Thanks, man. Let's go to Stephen Clearfield, first time caller. Steve, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well. Great. Excellent, excellent stuff. Uh, I just want to state for the record that the truest book on the face of the earth is the Bible. Amen. Equivocally. Amen. That's a great statement to make. I appreciate the testimony. Yes. Uh, we're gonna, next week and the week after, possibly, we're going to cover the Bible in comparison and, uh, and look at some of the things that might clear up some uh, mysteries and falsehoods about it. Excellent. Yeah, thank you for the call. Thank you for that testimony. Sure, I, I just wanted to state out that it's uh, in Revelation chapter 22, yeah, verse 19, it states, And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Right. Steve, the, the problem with that, using that with, with Latter-day Saints, and even with Christians who, are, who study it, and I, I don't use that with them, is because the book of Revelation is, is a singular book. And John was talking about that singular revelation. Now, the, church, the Christian church is in disagreement as to whether the people who compiled the Bible in its order were inspired by God or not. I believe they were, and I believe they put Revelation at the end 
for the very reason of the scriptures you just quoted. But other Christians will say, no, they just, they just put it together in order of, order of length. And also in Deuteronomy, it says that don't add or take away from this book. And, and we know that books came after Deuteronomy. So when you use that with Latter-day Saints, if they studied up, they're going to they're gonna shoot you down with these arguments. So I usually don't use that with them. I just talk about uh, other aspects of the word that make it true and whole. I just always believe that it's one whole book. Yeah, I do too. I do too, and, and my heart's right with you with that. But talking about apologetically with Latter-day Saints, it's sometimes more difficult. I understand. Thanks for calling. Thanks for that uh, uh, read, Steve. Really appreciate it and your testimony. Thank you, Sean. Okay, man. Bye-bye. God bless. God bless you. All right, we are going to Ray and Magna. Ray, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. Hey, I just wanted to address the proof of the Book of Mormon uh, archaeologically. Yeah. And I want to uh, address it to all the Mormon people who are listening out there. Okay. The, there is no proof of any of the places in the Book of Mormon, but there is one place that even Joseph Smith has said, and you've heard this before, the Hill Cumorah. Why they've had lots of battles there and over thousands hundreds of thousands of people killed there why doesn't the church go and dig that place up and bring all the proof up Ray a great comment and a great question and I'm gonna throw it right back if there is a leader of the church who happens to be watching the show in Salt Lake City I throw the gauntlet out to you right now right now get the funding the Christians will probably fund it and examine the Hill Cumorah for all the battle scenes and all the warrior stuff and all the metal and the coins and the swords and the bones. We have them from other civilizations older than that laying around America. Examine the Hill Cumorah. Prove to the world finally and once and for all that it really did happen there. Come on. We do archaeological uh, finds all the time and digs in Israel proving the Bible. Prove the Book of Mormon. The gauntlet's thrown down. Show it. You can't show it, and you know you can't show it, and you're leading people astray when you stand up there and you call it the most correct book that will lead people closer to God than any book on the face of this earth. And so thank you very much uh, for calling on that because it's absolutely true. Latter-day Saints, prove us wrong. Prove me wrong. Make me an idiot. See it happen. Thank you so much, buddy. Amen, Chad. Okay, bye-bye. Let's go to... Um, Reed in Ogden, a first-time caller. Reed, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, I like your program. Thanks, man. I have a question about if, uh, Joe, if Brigham Young was a true prophet, why did he stop practicing polygamy? I mean, he had a vision to quit practicing polygamy to become make Utah State. Uh, why did he? Well, the whole... The... If he really was a true prophet, that wouldn't have happened. Oh, so your whole thing was, if he was really following God, he would have followed God no matter what, right? Yeah. Yeah. Don't his mind. You know, I got a quote from Brigham Young that says, I really don't want people to call me a prophet. I could, I'll read it sometime if someone wants it. I don't want it to be called a prophet. If you want to call me a prophet, go ahead. But if I'm not, at least I've done these good things for the saints. He had, a, he had an attitude that way. As far as I agree with you, you know, uh, the, the LDS response would be, this is a church of modern day revelation. The Lord told Brigham, actually it was later than Brigham, to stop the practice of polygamy and issue the manifesto in 1890 uh, so that you can become a state, so that you can become strong and powerful and not be wiped off the face of the earth. Latter-day Saints would justify the end of polygamy for that reason. Yeah. Also, I have another one. Um, the DNA they did on for Indians in the North America, most of that DNA comes from Asia, not from uh, Jerusalem. Yeah. 
They're, they have yet to find any ties at all to Jerusalem, but uh, the LDS farms and fairs and all those guys who uh, are pretty good at fiction too, sorry you guys, uh, they have all kinds of answers to the DNA which are really weak. Uh, but until the jury's really out on DNA, I, I, I'm not going to take a stance until we can really prove something. All right, thank you, son. Hey, thanks for the call, man. Take care. I, We're going to Don in West Jordan. Don, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, I got a question. Um, when I was growing up in the LDS Church, you know, all I really heard was that they always praised, you know, the prophets that made the church. Like you said, I've hardly ever seen them, uh, you know, talk about Jesus Christ much. My second question is, if Bible said, how can the LDS Church say they are the true church? Where it's written in the Bible, it says there are seven true, there are seven churches that that, that are practice the truth, but he also finds faults in them. And third, I found that LDS people who uh, came in from other states find it hard to mainstream into the LDS Church here. Can you comment on those? Wow. Uh, first question was, sorry. Oh, that, that the church, uh, all, when I grew up in the church, they always talked about the, the prophets like Joseph Smith, yeah. uh, uh, Kimball. Yeah. They said they always talked about them, but they never talked about Christ. You know, you're right about that. That sounds as much more like a comment than a question, but you're right, I agree. In fact, there's an article in Sunstone Magazine, I don't know the issue, where they counted the number of times Jesus was said in the in the ensign in the in 1976 and it was like six times and then they counted the number of times his name was said in 2005 and it was like 180 times so they are progressing more toward that idea of jesus being more important than he has been and prophets uh, kind of taking a back seat let's hope that continues the second question was uh that that in the bible it talks about seven true churches yeah. And, and God also finds faults in them because of some of the things they do. So how can the LDS Church say they are the only true church? Well, the LDS Church makes the, the categorical error of, of believing that there is a church, a building, an edifice, an organization that is the church of Jesus Christ. When Paul clearly points out that the church is made up of believers from all different walks, from all different denominations, and it is not an institution or organization that is established and rolls forth. They, they try to perpetrate that, but they don't. And what you're talking about in Revelation 3, about the, the seven churches, uh, you're exactly right. Jesus, he commends them for some, some things, and he as, attacks them for others. So very good point. Third question. Uh, what I've seen LDS people come in from California, Nevada, and Idaho, and it seems like they have a hard time mainstreaming into the LDS church here in Utah. I just have to say that it's probably just culture, um, you know, because every walk of life has differences. Uh, when, when we moved uh, from California to Park City, uh, we had some differences with California plates with all Utahns for that matter. And, and when Utahns come to California or Idaho, they would have problems probably in their neighborhoods with the plates. There's just a cultural thing. I'm not sure it's fully because of the church. I think it's more a cultural derivative of us being human, being territorial, and liking to be proud of where we're from. Well, okay, thanks. You got a great program. Hey, thanks for calling. Thanks for watching. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Connie and Sandy on line four. Connie, talk loud. Hey, um, I actually am LDS. So uh -huh. I'm not active in the church. Uh-huh. And first of all, I've, this is the second time I've watched your show, and I'm just wondering why you choose to wear black 
And then also I had one comment I'd like to make after you answer the question. I wore black for the past two shows because it makes me look thinner. And I've been called fat twice on my show by LDS people. So I'm trying to make myself look as skinny as possible. Okay. And my, uh, my comment, excuse me if it sounds a little bit rude. It's okay. But, um, I just, like I said, I'm not active in the LDS church. But no. I personally, you know, I don't understand why on your show you're going against just the LDS religion. Yeah. And the other thing is, is for me personally, because I'm not a strong believer in the LDS, like religion, everything that they believe, I have questions about a lot of it that I don't really understand. Yeah. I, I'm having kind of a hard time with you on your show, putting down the LDS religion. I, I don't know. Well, let me explain. They say one of the greatest fights you'll ever have uh, when you speak against the church is in a bar in Salt Lake. Okay, the greatest defenders of the church are the people who are inactive in it. And it's because you might feel guilty for having left it, and it's like picking on your, your, uh, your disaffected sister, you know. She's still your sister, you love her, and don't pick on her even though you're not getting along with her. Um, the reason I poke at Latter-day Saints doctrine, I don't poke at the people, Connie, and I want to make that clear. I think that there are great people in the LDS church, I've met many of them, and I believe contrary to many Christians, that some of them are saved, which is very different from a lot of what Christians will say. I think some of them have a relationship with Jesus, which is going to be perfectly acceptable to God. The problem is, is I was LDS for 40 years, and I know the fallout from it. And I know what happens to people who cannot fit in. It's either conform or be cast out. You aren't All kinds of things occur as a result of the doctrines that lead people from God and not to Him. And so I just have a call on my life to do this. I know it sounds like it's mean, but if I believe it's leading people from God, I'll do everything I can to, uh, to offset that. Okay, well, I appreciate that, and I hope I didn't offend you or any of your viewers, but just on... The behalf of the LDS religion, you know, I would just like to say that I think that they have a lot of great programs, and I think that they have a lot of important, good values that they teach. The I agree people. with both of those so statements. I, I, that's all I really wanted to say on, on their defense. Okay, thank you, Connie. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, we got, some, uh, we got some comments I have to read here. Let's see here. From uh, Denny Hansen. I just want to do a shout out and thank you for your support and the insights that you give me. Uh, they're of a great help. I really appreciate it. From Karen, uh, whose sister lives in Utah. Uh, thank you for watching the show and thank you for your comments. I'm just reading these for the first time. From Steve Jolly, uh, Steve in Idaho. Uh, great scriptures from Matthew 22. And uh, your book is coming. If you haven't received it yet, you should have gotten it. Uh, at the Heinz, I think their name, Deanna, and, um, and somebody else who says they're 10 and 13 and are saying they don't like my tone when I talk to Latter-day Saints, but that they're Christians. I'm sorry for that. I'm using the best skills I've been given. Sometimes they're a little rough. Sometimes they're not. If I'm offending you, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm just trying to passionately give the information that I have in my heart to people, and sometimes I do it too passionately. Passionately. And uh, someone says, uh, they do not like the way I talk down to people, Mr. Sean. I don't know what religion you are, but, or you, if you are of a religion, but I really don't care for your program. Well, you didn't leave a name, so we're going to miss you. And uh, then we have uh, some other comments and questions, but I wanted to get to those. Okay, we have five minutes left. 
We are going to line one. Heart of the matter, welcome. Is that me? That's you. Sorry, I didn't have the mute. You oh. ready? Sorry about that, man. That's okay. Okay, hey, just a couple things. Hey, I'm I'm uh, LDS my whole life. I'm not. I don't want to argue or anything. I just want to bring up two points. First of all, we're not embarrassed that Joseph Smith was a Mason. Okay. Oh, he was a Mason. So was Brigham Young. It's right. Embarrassing. Okay. Uh, second of all, when it comes to proving the Book of Mormon. Hey, wait. Before you go on to the Book of Mormon question, did you see our show 12 and 13 about uh, Masonry? No, first time I've seen your program. You know what? George Washington was a Mason, and he was a great president. I don't know why that takes away from what he did well, for some it, of the early it, founders. It's not a matter of uh, that, uh, about the values that Masonry teaches or any of that. Uh, we know it's a great civil organization, civic organization, but watch the uh, the twelfth and thirteenth show because uh, you'll see why Joseph being a Mason is so integral to difficulties with the present day endowment session. Well, see, I don't. You know, my thing is just real quick: is it Sean or Shane? Sorry, Sean. Sean. So, sorry. You know, I don't care if it's word for word. You know, it doesn't bother me. I know that. Here's my thing. What I, I learned from a good Catholic in, in Boston when I was serving a mission, and I was saying, hey, I can prove religion. I can say Joseph Smith saw X, Y, and Z. Uh-huh. And he said to me, he looked at me and says, you can't prove religion. Uh-huh. You can't prove or disprove religion. Right. So my, my point with that is, you know what, you talk about tearing down the hill Cumorah. Uh-huh. What good would it do if we had the golden plates? All we get is, oh, you guys didn't know what you're talking about. You know, you don't know how to translate them. And, and so all I'm saying is, hey, I, I appreciate what you're trying to do. You have a message you're trying to share. I can respect that. Yeah. All, all I'm saying is that uh, you can't prove or disprove. I mean, people knock on Joseph Smith with, with the Book of Abraham and, and saying, oh, it's a funeral text. Well, you know what? Let's talk about where all of our modern understanding of Abraham comes from. The, yeah. Ro- the Rosetta Stone, yeah. one stone found by Napoleon's troops yeah. in the early 19th century, all comes from that. Right. So the, the all po- I'm saying is, is, hey, I believe in Jesus Christ. Now, we may not agree. I don't, you know, I believe that I'm a Christian, maybe not from the Nicene Creed definition of a Christian. Right. But I also believe that people prior to Christ coming knew who he was and knew what his name was. I know that. And, and, I, and I believe that. Now, I, know you, I know you believe it. you got to let me talk now because it's a two-way street. Oh, sorry. Uh, it's I, it's I, okay. I, I know you're excited. Uh, listen, the problem is with what you're stating is that things do change when facts are revealed. If you look at the Worldwide Church of God and you see what Tekach did, who became the leader of that church, when he saw that much of what Herbert W. Armstrong was presenting was false, the church changed direction. So information can help churches change direction. And I know that Latter-day Saints don't care if they found photographs of Joseph Smith worshiping a goat. It wouldn't matter to most Latter-day Saints. I understand that. And I know that's kind of what you're saying. The facts really don't matter to you. I know that. And, and that's okay. I know you facts, call that... But you know what? I could say the facts don't matter to you either. I know you can say that. I could point, I could point out all kinds of things in the Bible... And, and I've had I've discussed it with ministers of several Protestant and, ca- and the Catholic religion, uh-huh. including including uh, charismatic and born again. Right. And whenever I ask questions, that I'm like, well, why is that in the Bible? They give me the what I feel is the same runaround that you say that LDS people. Well, next week is a show on the Bible. Uh, call and just pick one, but give me your very best 
uh, thing on the Bible and why that's there and what's wrong with it. We only have 58 seconds, buddy. I really appreciate your call. It was very nice. We got, I got to go and we'll talk next time. All right, you guys, we only have 51 seconds. Uh, it's been kind of a fast show. I had a lot of information to give and uh, it wasn't technically the best. I wasn't really a profound TV guy tonight, but we had a lot to talk about and I appreciate your calls. Listen, uh, next week we're gonna talk about the inerrancy and the infallibility, big word to use with a text. And I believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. I think it came forth by the hands and minds of men and God led it and he did uh, with it what he wanted to happen. And I think that is the infallible guide for us to have to draw closer to Jesus Christ. I hope you'll tune in. You have questions, www.bornagainmormon.com. And uh, if not, we're going to see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. God bless. I'm on a ride, going nowhere I am an existential cowboy on the wind And I won't be coming out, I'm going in This man's awake a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the light filled monkeys start to.